0: Well, if you're just joining us today, we're in the second week of a month-long message series entitled Blockbusters. And what we figure we do is, um, you see, Hollywood has kind of figured something out that we as Christians, if you know the Bible, you've known for a very long time, that there are some incredible biblical events and stories all throughout Scripture. And so if you've noticed lately, Hollywood has begun to take a lot of these events that have occurred, and they're starting to put them on the silver screen. Some of them are iconic, and they've been on the screen in years past, Um, but you're noticing more and more movement. Movies being written about events that occur in the Bible. And so what we thought we'd do is we would take uh, four different types of looks at some amazing events throughout Scripture. Some dramas, some love stories, and so today, um, some action and adventure. And uh, one of the most iconic events in Scripture is the time when a man by the name of Moses is challenged by God to go and to lead his people across um, and out and delivered from bondage from the land of Egypt. Um, But there's a guy by the name of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's not a very, very kind guy. He believes in a lot of other gods. In fact, he thinks he he himself is a god. And he is going to say, no, 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 you're not allowed to go. And it's going to set up a little bit of this um, scene, so to speak. And where God is going to come in, and he's going to send 10 different plagues across the land of Egypt. If you've grown up, you've heard of the 10 plagues and you're gonna be mindful of it. Um, But today's a very different type of message and and let me kind of tell you why. Here's what's gonna happen. If you're a type A engineer in the room, you're gonna like this because I'm gonna tell you exactly where we're going. Um, Part of that reason is because uh, in the first part of this message, we're gonna go through all 10 plagues. That's a lot of plagues. It's a lot of scripture. And so if you're not a Christian and you have no idea what's going on, after about the third plague, you're gonna say, you know what, I think I wanna take a nap that'll be fine. You can take a seven minute nap. We'll wake you up for the end. But if you love historical and biblical information, if you love to know some hidden meanings, I encourage you to stay awake because you're going to find out a lot of different information about each of these different plagues. Why is this important? Well, if you are just here for the first time, I'll just share this. There's a lot of times where God doesn't make sense. Yes, a pastor just said it. There's a lot of times in your life When something occurs and you say, I just don't get it, God. Isn't it true? Don't we wish like a movie, we would have the script. We would know the beginning. We would know the tension. And then we would know the end. And we would have God all figured out. But there is one thing throughout my life as a pastor that I've realized. Is that he's God and I'm not. Is that we will never figure him out until we get to heaven. Because he's God and we're not. God does some incredible things. In fact, he does things we don't understand. But later on in our lives, how many of you have sat and later on said, I now know why God did that. Don't you wish you had that information when it first happened? Because many of us back here are like, why God? Kick, scream, kick, scream. Why God? Just like a good movie. So today we're going to unpack the 10 plagues. And here's what I'm going to show you. There was a reason for each and every one of those plagues. It wasn't just because God was a mean God with a magnifying glass. He wasn't just trying to be creative and say, ha, let me put gnats and locusts. Yes, that's fun. No, 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 no. There was a hidden, deeper meaning behind every plague, but it had a very strong purpose. So if you hang on for these first 10, we'll wrap it up in the end about what it means for you and I with an incredible God who sometimes doesn't, Make sense. If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Exodus chapter seven. We're going to begin with the very first plague. If you have the U Version Bible app, you can download it called the Bible. Download it. All of the message notes are provided so that you can hang with us and not have to stop and write every time we talk. Here we go. Then announce to him God is talking to Moses and Aaron and wants Moses and Aaron to tell this to a guy by the name of Pharaoh. The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to tell you. Pharaoh, you're to let my people go so they can worship me in the wilderness. Until now, you have refused to listen to him. If you don't know the backstory, the Israelites, they're in bondage. They're in slavery. God heard the cry of his people. He sends Moses and Aaron, two leaders, into the land to tell Pharaoh, God says you need better let them go. And this begins the interplay. Continuing on. So this is what the Lord says. I will show you that I am God. Now pause real quick. This is going to be a theme throughout these 10 plagues. And I don't want you to miss it. Sometimes we read and we don't catch what God's trying to say. But God did these plagues for one major purpose. I'm going to show you that I am God and you are not. I'm God, you are not. Continuing on. Look, I will first strike the water of the Nile with this staff in my hand. And the river is going to turn to blood. First plague. The fish in it will die. The river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink any water from the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, take your staff. Raise your hand over the waters of Egypt, all its rivers, canals, ponds, all the reservoirs. Turn all the water to blood. Everywhere in Egypt, the water will turn to blood. Even the water stored in wooden bowls and stone pots. The first plague in Egypt was to have them strike the water of the Nile River. And all the water was to turn to blood. Now, why would God choose to do this? It was a very, very strong purpose. You see, the Egyptians believed in a lot of different gods. In fact, they had gods named for the strong resources and blessings that they'd received. And they worshipped those gods. And remember what we said. God said, I'm going to show you these plagues to show you that I am God. What you need to know today is the Nile River was a god. And the Nile River was known as the god named Happy. It was the Egyptian god of the Nile. The Nile River was known to the Egyptian people as the life source. The fact that Egypt exists today is because of the Nile River, the way that it crests, the way that it floods, the way that it it droughts and retreats. It provides luscious crops, sustenance for the people. So when they look at the Nile River, they call it a god and they worship the god of the Nile River. And the first plague, God says, is this. Turn it to blood to show you this. The Nile River, happy? That's not a God. I am God. That's not a God. I am God. First plague. Second plague. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, raise the staff in your hand over all the rivers, the canals, the ponds of Egypt, and bring up frogs all over the land. Now, let me be honest with you. I don't like bugs. And some of you right now, you're saying, well, Terry, it doesn't make sense because frogs eat bugs. You should like frogs. I don't like frogs. They're slimy. They're gross. I don't like them. Here's something you need to know about Egyptians, though: the frog was sacred to the Egyptians. It was a symbol. They were godlike. And so, notice the second plague. God says, "I want. You, we're going to raise up frogs out, and we're going to have frogs over everything. But then something's going to happen to the frogs. If you read through the whole story, which we don't have time today, we're going to cause the frogs to die." And there will be a stench throughout the land of Egypt of death. The second plague was not just against frogs. It was against the God called Hecate. And it was the God of fertility. Because the frog was sacred, represented life. And the God of fertility was throughout the land. And so to have the frogs, number one, raise up and then to die showed, that's not a God. I am God. That's not the God that brings life to you. I am the God that brings life to you. Second plague. Third plague. So the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, raise your staff, strike the ground. The dust will turn into swarms of gnats throughout the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded them. When Aaron raised his hand and struck the ground with his staff, gnats infested the entire land, covering the Egyptians and their animals. All the dust in the land of Egypt turned into gnats. Yuck. I told you I didn't like bugs. But again, this was not against bugs. This was against one of their famous gods. In fact, if you go today and you go to see the movie The Mummy that is out in the theaters today, they talk about this specific god, and it's the god of the desert named Set. Here's two things you need to know about this god. Because they lived in a desert, it was a very powerful god because they had sand everywhere. So God said, Moses, I want you to turn the sand, the god of the desert, into gnats. But then here's one more thing that you need to know. The Egyptian people were very, very cleanly. They were very clean. They had purification, rituals, different things like that. They kept the sand out of their places of living immaculously. It was incredible. But notice where all the gnats went. It went everywhere, all over everything. It was as if to say, the God of the desert, you think you have control. You have no control. That's not a God. You're not God. I am am God. Next plague. Then the Lord told Moses, get up early in the morning, stand in Pharaoh's way as he goes down to the river. Say to him, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go so they can worship me. If you refuse, then I will send swarms of flies, more bugs on you, your officials, your people, all the houses. The Egyptian homes will be filled with flies and the ground will be covered with them. Don't miss this. I will make a clear distinction between my people and your people, this miraculous sign will happen tomorrow. Now, as you kind of guessed it, the fly was not just a fly. The fly was a god. It was the god named Ukatech. It was the god of the flies. You've seen the lord of the flies. This is the god of the flies. But here's something very interesting. You see, for the very first time, and I want you to pay really close attention. If you are new to Christianity, don't miss this. This was the first time that all of a sudden a plague happens, and God says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, I want you to understand something. You have placed other gods before me. You have worshipped them. And I've shown you one by one now with these first plagues that they are not a god, I am a god. But now I'm going to show you something. That if you continue to put other things or gods before me, you have to recognize that you are separated. Because I'm going to make a clear distinction. Because the flies are only going to attack those that don't believe in me. And so all the Egyptians that believed and put other gods before the God of the universe were attacked with flies. But all the Israelites from here on out weren't touched by what came. Now, let me pause. If you're brand new to Christianity and you're just starting to understand, you're kind of like, this is a lot of bugs and I don't know what's going on. That's okay. I knew this would happen. Again, you got about seven minutes. You could take a little snooze and I'll wake you up at the end. Next plague. Go back to Pharaoh. The Lord commanded Moses, tell him This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go so they can worship me. If you continue to hold them and refuse to let them go, the hand of the Lord will strike all your livestock, your horses, your donkeys, your camels, your cattle, your sheep, your goats with a deadly plague. But again, the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of the Israelites and that of the Egyptians. Not a single one of Israel's animals will die if you travel to egypt today you will see statues of cattle big statues of cattle why cattle were sacred they were godlike in fact it represents the god named apis or hathor it was depicted as a cattle it was the god of the livestock it was the god of the source of heavy food for the egyptians and so god once again says you think you get your food from this god that's not a god I'm God. Next plague. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from a brick kiln and have Moses toss it into the air while Pharaoh watches. All of a sudden, soot goes in the air. It covers all the Egyptians, not the Israelites, and it turns their skin to boils. Disease begins to strike. And so all of a sudden, the next plague affects the individuals. They're running around. They didn't like that kind of stuff. But as you guessed it, was God just being mean no he was sending a message because there was a god of disease and that god in egypt was known as sunu health and disease and god sent a disease of boils on only the egyptians to say that's not the god of health and disease i am the god that gives health i am the god that protects you next play so tomorrow at this time i will send a hailstorm. More devastating than any in all the history of Egypt. Quick, order your livestock and servants to come in from the fields to find shelter. Any person or animal left outside will die when the hail falls. All throughout biblical history, there was a God known as Baal. If you read the Bible, if you've ever read the Bible, the Bible's amazing. You need to read it. But in the Bible, there's always known as a God of Baal. And that was the God of weather. Picture it. You had a lot of uneducated individuals. They didn't have the Encyclopedia Britannica. If you're over 40, you know what that is. They didn't have Google. They didn't have a lot of that stuff. And so when they looked up in the air and they saw lightning and thunder, they said, Ooh, it's a God. And they would worship that God. And the God of the Israelites, our God, who's a jealous God, would say, That's not a God. I am God. And so this plague, the hailstorm was, you think you've seen hail? Let me show you hail, because I am the god of the sky. Not nut, known as the Egyptian god of the sky. Next plague. If you refuse, watch out. For tomorrow I will bring a swarm of locusts on your country. They will cover the land so that you won't be able to see the ground. They will devour what little is left of your crops after the hailstorm, including all the trees growing in the fields. One of the greatest sources of food and life for the Egyptians were their crops. When the Nile River, which was life, would flood, it would allow for the land to become fertile, to be able to grow crops, to be able to sustain the Egyptians. And they had the god of the crops, which was known as Osiris, the god, god of crop fertility. Now, We've already gone through a lot, but I want you to wake up. If you've been sleeping, I want you to wake up because these last two are really, really important. Because as you can see, God came down and he said, I'm going to send these plagues. And these eight that I've talked about are meant to remind you that I'm in control of all the aspects of your life. That there's you're not in control and there's not other gods that are in control. I am God and they are not and you are not. And for us in our lives, it's as if God is saying to us, Terry, you think you're in control of your job. You think you're in control of your family. You think you're in control of your schedule. You're not. I am God. I am the one who blesses you. I am the one who gives you all that you have. At any point, my hand of protection can come off you. And so the only thing, the biggest thing that I care about is my relationship with you. And so do you trust me? Every day that you live your life, do you recognize me as God? Because I, like the Egyptians, always want you to know that I am God. And these last two, if you pay really close attention, are very interesting. Watch this. Then the Lord said to Moses, lift your hand toward heaven, and the land of Egypt will be covered with a darkness so thick you can feel it. So Moses lifted his hand to the sky and a deep darkness covered the entire land of Egypt for three days. Don't miss this. During all that time, the people couldn't even see each other and no one moved. But there was light as usual where the people of Israel lived. The most powerful God in Egypt was known as Ra. And Ra was the sun God. And in the ninth plague, God comes in and says, You think that's the most powerful God? I'm not only going to make it dark, but I'm going to make it so dark that you can feel it and that you can stand nose to nose with someone and you won't even see them. You think Ra's powerful? I just blotted him out. But don't miss this. The Israelites, they're all in light. They all can see each other and do what they want. God comes down in a very mighty act against the largest God of Egypt and says, that's not God. I am God. It's a reminder to me today that no matter what struggle or problem that you have, when you say, I have to take control, I have to do something, God's not showing up, so I need to take action. God is coming down and saying, do you remember what I did to the most powerful God in Egypt? I'm God. You are not. Now... Like any good movie, this is where if you're sitting there, some of you might have already figured this out. So, well, Terry, that's nine. And Ra was the most powerful God in Egypt. So what a bad movie. Because now we're going to go to a tenth plague and it's going to kind of, you know, be written out of order. It would have been great if you would have started here and then the tenth God was Ra and it would have been perfect and it would have been a great movie and we could celebrate. This is the most interesting one of all because this tenth plague is one of the most brutal plagues in biblical history but there is a reason and a meaning behind it. And I don't want you to miss it. Take a look at this. Moses had announced to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. At midnight tonight, I will pass through the heart of Egypt. All the firstborn sons will die in every family in Egypt from the oldest son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the oldest son of his lowliest servant girl who grinds the flour. Even the firstborn of all the livestock will die then a loud wail will rise throughout the land of Egypt, a wail like no one has heard before or will ever hear again. But among the Israelites, it will be so, don't miss this, peaceful, that not even a dog will bark. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites. I want you to look at the Egyptians and Israelites and I want you to take those terms out and I want you to look at it and say, those that believe it, that I am God and those that do not believe that I am God. Those who look at me and reject who I am. Now this is brutal and if you're new to Christianity, you say, Terry, that's really awful. I, I, I still don't understand it. I want to explain this and I'm going to show you the God that it represents. In the land of Egypt, Pharaoh again was hardened, and Pharaoh said, no, I am God. Because remember, Pharaoh was not just a leader. Pharaoh was also known to himself as God. And so this was a battle of the gods. This was Pharaoh usurping his authority to say, no, 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 I am godlike. I am the ruler of Egypt. You're not God. I'm God. And so God finally, in the 10th and final plague, because Pharaoh would not let the people go, he takes on the God of Pharaoh because... The God of children was known as ISIS, not the ISIS we know today, but God of Isis. but ISIS was known as Pharaoh's mom, which would give Pharaoh his Godlike tendencies. So God strikes the first baron born to say, "There is no ISIS. I am the God of kids." That means, Pharaoh, your mother, who is a God, doesn't exist, which means, Pharaoh, you are not a God. I am God, and you will let my people go. It starts all of a sudden to come clear. God takes on Pharaoh, because what Pharaoh did is what I do sometimes. Let me take it, and let's go practical for a second. There are many of us when we think and look at the movies and we see gods, we see these huge, big battles and big godlike creatures. But to be a God really only takes one major thing, control. And if you think that you're in control or you have control of your life or your stuff and you put other things before the God who is in control, you say to God, I'm God. Now, I know some of you might say, well, Terry, no, 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 I don't mean that. I get that, I get that. But if we're really getting down to black and white, when I say to God, I want control of this, I want to make my own decision. I know, God, it's not right to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. When we have those moments, it's as if we look at God and say, I'm in control, which means I am God and you are not. In Scripture... All throughout history, if you've read the Bible, you know this. God is a patient God. God also is a tender God that we even sang about. But God's a jealous God. And he always wants us to know that he's God and we're not. In Proverbs, it actually speaks of seven sins that God detests in our life and warns us of those sins. And this is where we're going to get practical. And so if you're sitting here today and you're saying, Terry, you know what, I, I, I just don't have peace. Remember in that scripture we said the Israelites will be peaceful. If you don't have peace, if you don't feel as if you're getting anywhere, if you feel the relationship with God, with your family is just not where it needs to be and you can't figure out how to get it, you try to read more Bible, you try to go to more Bible studies, you try to have more quiet times. But for whatever reason, I just don't feel that it's in the place it needs to be. It could just be that you are putting something between you and God. In Proverbs, it speaks of these seven sins. There are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord in a family. In the world today, they have taken those seven sins. And in fact, if you've probably heard this, you've heard of the seven deadly sins. This is the scripture where that comes from. And in the world today, whether you're a Christian or not, this is what the seven deadly sins are known in the world. Take a look. Lust, gluttony, greed, laziness, anger, envy, and pride. And if I were to sit there and if I were to say, if you were to stare at that list and ask yourself a truthful question, because some of you are going to say, I don't have any of those, Terry. I'm not talking outright. Is there a hint? Is there a glimmer? Is there an aspect in your life where these sins from time to time will crop up? If that's the case, God says, beware, be careful watch out because it's as if you're putting something before me. Now, if you're sitting here and you're saying, Terry, I don't have a problem with any of those, you probably only read one through six. Read number seven. And so I never like leaving a service with telling Christians what they shouldn't do. I think Christians do a really good job of telling people what they shouldn't do. I don't believe we should be known as Christians by what we don't do. I believe God wants Christians to be known by what they do. And we should be able to inspire others to an incredible relationship with Jesus Christ by what we do. So if you're sitting there today and you're saying, Terry, I'm struggling a little bit. My relationship's not where it needs to be. It could just be that you're placing something before God. And so here are seven things that you might need to do to battle these sins. Take a look. Number one, you might need more self-discipline. If you're struggling with lust, if you're struggling with your eyes, if you're struggling with temptation, I just want you to hear this phrase. There is more at stake with every decision than you'll ever realize. Your family, your faith, and your future hinge with the decision that you make out of a lost control of lust. And so you might today, your actions step might need to be, I need discipline in my life. Have you ever met someone who's struggling who says, Oh, I'm fine. I can handle it. I can handle it. If you are doing that, you need discipline. You need boundaries. And you need to not put your pride up and say, Well, I'm an adult. Then act like it. And put discipline in your life. If you struggle with gluttony, and gluttony is an overabundance, If you struggle with that, then it could be that you need to pray and say, God, I need more self-control. I need accountability in my life. If you struggle with greed, if you love to hoard, if you are not a giver by nature, then you need to pray for generosity of heart. I had a friend of mine, I saw it on Facebook the other day, and I thought it was so awesome. Because you talk about self-discipline. This is an individual who once told me, and said, you know what, I, I'm not much of a giver. And so I need to ask God for self-discipline. And so on Facebook, literally yesterday, I saw this friend and every month, once a month, here's what they do. They do this as the bare minimum of generosity. They pray for generosity and they look for opportunities to give. But to make sure that they at least once a month are thinking of generosity when they drive through at a fast food restaurant because she has a family and she's always on the run. When she goes through a drive through she always once a month will pay for the car behind her. And she posted it and she said, I love seeing the reaction of the person behind me when they come up to the window. I need more generosity in my life. That leads to initiative. I think one of the greatest sins of Christianity is laziness. I think God wants to unleash the potential in this room of Christians who have the power to do incredible things. But because of a lack of belief in self or a lack of belief that you can do it, we don't try. If you have anger issues, you better pray for patience. Forget the count to ten. You need the God who created the numbers to help you with that. Number six, contentment. It's one of the greatest, greatest prayers you can make. God, help me to not covet. And then number seven, if you have pride, beware of this prayer. God, make me humble because he will, because he's God and you're not. Last two notes. I want you to write this down. There is a big difference between physical movement and spiritual movement. There's a big difference between physical movement and spiritual movement. And here it is. Only one will actually change your position. There's a lot of Christians who do a lot of things and end up in the same place. Physical movement doesn't move you anywhere. It's time to look at the God and the creator of the universe and say, you are God and I am not. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the message today. It was a lot. But the theme running through it all is, God, you are God and I'm not. So God, I pray for the family today. The family, Lord, that is struggling and not sensing that they're close to you. I pray for the dad today that wants to be the spiritual leader, but God is struggling and is frustrated. God, I pray today that they would know that if they would just take the time to take action, to avoid those sins that we talked about, to employ the things we talked about in their life to lead us to spiritual health, God, I pray that they would see movements in their family. Right now, God, what we say is we want your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. And with one voice as a church, I pray today as we get ready to sing, I pray, God, that we can proclaim that you are God. You are the creator of the universe. And I am not. So, Father, bless, bless this moment. And may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information about the ministries at Oceanview, or if you'd like to speak to someone directly, you can visit our website at www.ovbc.org. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.